Hello and welcome to Interval, the Norwich Theatre Royal podcast. With a new episode releasing each month, this show will bring you exclusive news, views, interviews and behind the scenes content. We will have the latest information for shows and events at Norwich Theatre Royal, Norwich Playhouse and our Learning and Participation Centre, Stage 2. If you're interested in the performing arts in Norfolk, then this is the podcast for you. In this month's episode, Mark Armstrong discusses the impact of Still Alice and his personal experiences with Alzheimer's. We chat to the hilarious Nelson Gomba-Comba about his involvement in our new Creative Matters season, Black British Identity. Plus we hear from one of the longest serving dancers at Rombear, Hannah Rudd, on the company's stunning new work, Life is a Dream. A brand new adaptation of Still Alice is coming to the Theatre Royal in October, after its successful opening at West Yorkshire Playhouse. Starring Sharon Small, a professional at the top of her game, is unexpectedly diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's at the age of 50. Here's Sharon describing the work in her own words and talking about her character, Alice. I'm really looking forward to this production because I think it's just a beautiful story. It's about loss, but it's not without hope and it's not without humour as well. And it's a kind of funny and sad and kind of furious look, I think, at the affliction of Alzheimer's. She starts as being a professor of linguistics. All of her strengths are about communication and the terrible irony of that to her to being able to lose her powers of communication as easily and her recognition. And I, I think that will be the challenge for me to be able to chart that in a way that people who have experience with this will be able to recognise it. She's brilliantly bright and, and puts in little notes to herself constantly to try and keep herself going and present in the world. What I think will be really interesting about this production is it's a different premise, it's more like the book than the film in that there is another character on stage who's actually the voice in my head and so there's myself and she is actually called herself. And I think that will be a, a beautiful adage in that you actually get to see what's going on in her head that you can't say. It's a great story and to really get to know what it's like for people living with dementia and the journeys that they go on in this, this story will be part of that. Acting alongside Sharon is Mark Armstrong, who plays her son, Tom. Having worked with Sharon previously in The Men Who Weep at the National Theatre, the pair will link up again. Mark recently starred in the hit BBC drama Our Girl, as well as featuring in Danny Boyle's stage version of Frankenstein with Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller. Mark told us about his personal connection with Alzheimer's, the uplifting nature of Still Alice, and his career so far. He's the one that sort of struggled with, with school and um, being part of a very uh, well-educated family um, and a very intelligent family. He's probably the least intelligent of the lot, so he struggled a lot more um, in terms of uh, competing essentially with his sister Lydia and he has a really close relationship with his mum which has been really fun to explore in rehearsal with, with Sharon who's wonderful to, to play with. 
um, and and we've been having fun over the last week or so, uh, seeing sort of how far they are, how far that goes, and going on that journey with them to to um, discover how how it affects Thomas in his world as well as part of the family. Uh, the news that that uh, Alice is diagnosed with early onset, and his mum is is very much his his hero. She's sort of superwoman. She's always done everything. Um, for him, and if he's ever had any problems, he always turns to his mum. He still has a good relationship with his dad, but in terms of his mum, she's always been there for him, and she's always had the answer to everything. Um, so it's it's he, he becomes very vulnerable when he realises that actually she may not have the answers anymore, so to speak. It's tackling a tough subject. It, yeah. It's a gritty subject, but it's not beating you over the head with it, and it's not a, a, a depressing, for want of a better phrase, because there's some Absolutely. elements of comedy and uh, and sort of heartwarming moments in it as well. My nana has dementia, and my granddad uh, sadly passed away with Parkinson's and dementia. Um, and it's amazing what it does to your family as as a, a whole. Um, and that's what I think we're trying to get across. In in that, yes, it's difficult, but what it actually does is it brings your family together. There are so many moments of joy still to be had um, with family. And uh, it's funny, like when I'm texting somebody about the play, or I've been writing it on Twitter or whatever, uh, I go to type still Alice. And I sometimes slip from the C to the V and it comes up still alive. And that's the point. When somebody gets diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's or dementia or early, early onset, they don't stop living. You know, they, they are still alive and they still have so much to offer. Uh, it's about finding ways to make the, the, um, their life as enjoyable as it was because they are still living. And I think, as I say, what, what Sharon's doing wonderfully, and the whole team have actually, it's, it's been really lovely rehearsal process so far. It's all uh, a lovely bunch of people. Um, but we've really begun to find, find those moments of joy. And as I say, Martin Marquez, Eva Pope, uh, Ruth Ullman, uh, Anna Andreessen, and, and Michael Belfort, again, the, the cast is just incredible. It, it, and, and David Grinley, um, he obviously knows what he's doing in terms of getting a great group of people together along with the casting from, from Carl uh, Beckinsale. They knew what, what the play required and it really does need a family unit and that's very much what it feels like. So tell me a little bit about you and, and uh, your career so far. I mean, in terms of acting, was that something you always wanted to do? Were you a bit of a, a show-off as a kid or did anything you fell into? <laughs> How did it all start? <laughs> yeah, so one of the, one of the scenes in, in Still Alice, we've got to have uh, baby photos um, for, for Alice and herself to be looking through a photo album and I've just been and my mum and dad have just been emailing over a few different pictures and I saw um, my first costume from the first pantomime I did uh, as, at eight years old. Wow. Um, the first the first ever sort of piece of theatre I did I guess was through school in primary four uh, three or primary four and we did uh, Joseph and his technical drink coat at the Joseph and my teacher after doing that um, suggested that I go along to the local theatre club and, and that was it really and uh, uh, and then auditions for drama schools and got into East 15. I've been very very lucky I mean my first year I was in as I said as mentioned week understudy ensemble uh, and then I got a part in Danny Boyle's Frankenstein. I was going to ask about uh, that I mean that must yeah. have been not only Danny Boyle but sort of a powerhouse cast in that as well what was it like being part of that? Amber Batch and yeah. Jonathan Miller and Naomi Harris, George Harris it was it was wonderful. I sort of didn't realise how much of a big deal it was, to be honest, in that it was my second job. Um, and I was doing what every actor dreams of, rehearsing one play during the day and performing another in, in the evening. Yeah. Um, and it was it was incredible. And we got extended, sold out pretty much the whole run. Um, 
and uh, it still occasionally gets shown in national theatre live around the, the country and around Europe and things today. Um, yeah, it was just an incredible experience. Danny Boyle is a fascinating guy. He, um, he's very good at, uh, he just goes around the rehearsal room sort of 15 minutes before you start and says, Come on, what, was your, what was your evening like last night? Did you get up to anything exciting? And so immediately breaks any boundaries between actor and director or uh, whatever it may be. And, and it allows you to go, oh, yeah, I was doing this, blah, blah, blah. But actually, I was thinking about the scene. Um, what do you think if blah, blah, blah? And uh, he goes, oh, great. Well, that's a nice idea. So why don't, why don't you try that? Or, or equally, he goes, yeah, I thought about that as well. It might not work, but maybe let's try it, see what happens. And uh, it immediately gets you offering him ideas and, and talking about it without having any pressure in the situation. We've got to talk about Our Girl and, and some TV stuff as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. How did that all come about? How did, how did you get that particular part? Well, I've had a bit of a funny time. So I, I, I'd left drama school a year and pretty much worked solidly for the first year and a half to two years as another avenue of income. I, I qualified as a personal trainer. Oh. Um, and I was working in the gym. And, and the, the, the breakdown just came through. My agent gave me a call. Uh, and I went in and, and read. But... I got a phone call from my agent and they said, how would you like to go to South Africa for a few weeks? And I was like, well, that'd be great. What's the reason? <laughs> and they said, you've been offered the part an hour ago. It was great. It was absolutely incredible. Really, really, again, great team, lovely people. Uh, it was Michelle's first series as well. So we did, a, we did two boot camps. We did a boot camp in the UK and a boot camp uh, in South Africa. Wow. And, uh, and that was brilliant. I mean, I love, as I say, I'm physically... Uh, I love exercising and training in the gym and whatnot. Um, so I'm getting stuck into essentially to what I've been practicing for years as a kid, playing armies in the back garden. Uh, <laughs> getting the opportunity to go and do that was, was wonderful. Um, and Nigel Parkinson, Colonel Nigel Parkinson, the, the um, gentleman that ran the, the boot camps and who's also our military advisor when we've been out over the last two series, um, said to me on the, the sort of second or third day we were doing an exercise out in the field. He just went, Mark, Mark slow down a bit, slow down a bit. And I was like, what do you mean, Nigel? He's like, just slow down, slow down. And it wasn't until we got out to South Africa and I actually got to know him that he said, uh, I was led to believe that there was an ex, uh, ex-military uh, a soldier joining the, the cast. Uh, and he was he thought that I was ex-military. Oh, wow, well, well praise that indeed, I had, yeah. uh, Well, exactly. <laughs> he, he couldn't believe that I'd never had any form of military training uh, at all. Um, wow. So that was, that was really lovely. You know, you are working in close proximity um, with people who become very good friends um, because you have to spend so much time together and you do grow together. And, you know, you, you want to uh, create the best show possible. And I think we um, really did a, a good job. And, I mean, it's, it is very easy when you've got two leads like Mel, uh, Michelle and Ben who are incredibly talented and hardworking. And we just got, off like a, got on like a house on fire. Um, really, really lovely chaps, incredibly talented actors as well. Um, and I think that sort of casting department Julia Fancy did, did incredibly well was uh, getting a group of people who are hardworking but also very easy to get along with. Still Alice runs from Tuesday the 2nd to Saturday the 6th of October. Creative Matters returns in October. This month's series will explore black British identity with events happening across the Theatre Royal, Norwich Playhouse and in Stage 2. These events include Ballet Black, showcasing dancers of black and Asian descent on the Theatre Royal stage, nightclubbing, an explosive new performance inspired by Grace Jones, and Norwich-based comedian Nelson Gombokomba will be performing in Stage 2. 
I always tell the ladies the name Nelson Tinashe Gomba Komba Jr. the second is the shortest thing about me and uh, <laughs> that, that never gets old. It's like, okay, okay. So, I lived in Zimbabwe until I was able to swim. Uh, I swam all the way from Africa. <laughs> I, I almost drowned 27 times. Uh, uh, only to get washed up in this place called Great Yarmouth. Now, I don't know if you've been there, but I did look around for a bit. And then I started swimming back to Africa. I was like, if that is Great Yarmouth, I don't want to see the normal Yarmouth. Can you dig it? Nelson will lead an event of comedy, spoken word, and music, all celebrating unique black perspectives. He spoke to us about his journey into stand-up, his experience of ethnic diversity in Norfolk, and why he thinks creative matters is a great opportunity to open people's minds. Yeah, when I step onto the stage in October on the 12th, on stage two, there'll be There'll be excitement, there'll be curiosity. People are wondering what has Nelson done this time? What has he brought us into? But the good thing is, this has never been done before. So it has the, there's the opportunity to just create something new that maybe um, next year and the years after it can become an annual thing. So that's what I'm thinking with this type of event. I'm thinking that if I do it so well that everyone is impressed, then we can start making it an annual thing. I'm, I'm already thinking 10 steps ahead. Wow. Wow. So ideally what to expect on the night is you have to expect some comedy. Now it is a Black uh, History Month themed night, but we're not just going to be talking about, you know, one particular thing. We're not just going to be talking about culture or race. The aim of the night is actually for people to have fun. Now, the artists will be black, yes, but the purpose of the night is to show you multiple perspectives, all coming from what seems to be the same source, so that at the end of the night, people will go, oh, I've just seen, you know, let's say 10 black artists, but also 10 very different perspectives. And it's those little, things, those little subtle, you know, lessons that I feel they resonate more with people because you could, you could spend the whole night preaching, telling them, okay, this and that happened, but it's the entertainment part that's going to make them remember just how, just how fun it was, you know, they need to have fun. So we've decided to make this a night about fun. Amongst black people ourselves, it's hard to really agree on what black history is or what black culture is it's so diverse so if we're going to do this let us instead of trying to explain something that might not even need an explanation let us just show people that okay it is black history month but amongst black people there's so many types of history there's a caribbean perspective there's an african perspective there's a black British perspective that is unique in its own respect. There's, there's so many ways of, of approaching this. There's first generation immigrants. Those perspectives will be different from third generation immigrants and all that. So if I can at least 
get an artist from one of those tiny brackets and they come on the stage, they do what they do, whether it's singing, whether it's joking, whether it's it's whatever they do. If the audience can at least appreciate some sort of different perspective from what they do, then that that will be the main part. Now, to answer your question, if every artist then does that, the purpose of the night would be more fun, more broader thing. But when you do take a closer look, you realize that, oh, okay, what Nelson was trying to do all along was to show us that these multiple perspectives to look at this, yes. I think it was also quite interesting to me, having grown up in Norfolk, is that yeah. we aren't, freely admit, particularly ethnically diverse. I think, <laughs> do you think it's going to be quite... Interesting from that perspective as well, because this is not just a season for the black community. You want yeah. everybody to come yes, and enjoy indeed. this as yes. well. Yes, um, the, the the thing about uh, this whole night is, I want it to be inclusive. I want someone who probably has no interactions with <laughs> black people in their everyday life to come and at least see a perspective, because the less mystified all these other groups are. The more open everything is, the better we understand each other. So part of what art does is it takes down the barriers. What someone may think they don't know about me, suddenly I've explained to them and they think, okay, nah, I get that. I guess we have something in common now. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? So it's constantly trying to break these these barriers or you know things that people are going to talk about things that they don't understand and if we shed light on all these things then slowly we get to know each other we get to know the differences amongst us and and next time they're talking to i guess their black friend at work they can go guess what i did last night i went and i saw this show <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and i learned all this so it, it, it's those little things that I think make the biggest difference. At, at the earlier stages of, you know, I've, I've been doing stand-up for four years now, but uh, when I first started, when I was trying to work out which perspective to really go at it, you know, um, I realized that if people don't want to be preached at. People, no one wants to be given a, a lesson or a TED talk. If you're in a comedy environment or in an environment to entertain yourself. That's what you want. You want entertainment. So tell us a bit about you. How did the comedy start? How did you begin? I was just a curious mind, John. I was mm. just, I, I always wanted to do it, which I think is the reason why a lot of people want to do stand-up. But when I finally got that 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 push to do it, it was um, an open mic at university. And so it started off me performing to fellow students, just telling one, two, three jokes and running off the stage. Then I started enjoying it more and more that I started pushing myself that, okay, if I can tell jokes for one minute, that'll be fine. This time, let me aim for two minutes. Let me aim for five minutes. Let me. So it started off me just trying to see how far I could stay on stage. Then as time went on, in the first year of performing, I met this guy called Brad Baxter, who's the owner of Gonzo's Tea Room. And he told me he wanted to have a comedy night at his bar. And so he made me the host. So for 
for every month for about three, four years to this day, I've been doing it. It's so, you know, after constantly writing jokes, it then encouraged me to try out other places. And that's when I went to London. That's when I started writing a set that's meant to, that can be done in multiple locations. And I don't necessarily have to change much, but I have to start building a comedy set, as they say. So, it's it's happened that way and the more I go down to London, the more I come back, the more I go to different places, it just slowly builds up into this. Right now I'm doing about fifteen, twenty minutes at top London clubs and that's that's about three, four years worth of work, worth of going back. Because even a small line, even a little joke, it it requires a lot of thought process. You have to even facial expressions, all that you're constantly adding layers to this thing and it slowly grows and hopefully one day it will be an hour special. <laughs> I look forward to that. <laughs> that's, that's what I made it towards. And you've done a bit of acting as well because you were on stage here at, st- at Stage 2 in Safe. Yeah. What was that experience that, like? That, that was my first uh, actual uh, acting experience, you know. Um, on this sort of level where we are talking about the theatre royal and I really enjoyed that because it taught me another le- another type of performance where I wasn't necessarily going for laughs or anything I was just maintaining a character and trying to you know produce the, the tell the truth through my acting and and I, I really liked it to a point where I just I want to do more of this stuff but now all the work that I keep finding is, you know, Ipswich, Suffolk, all these so far away that, you know, it's hard to move. But I really want to do it again, John. Well, who, knows what, who knows what's around the corner? Yes, indeed. So final question. Yeah. You're coming here in Creative Matters. Yes. One last attempt to sell us. Why should we come along and see? You should come along and see me because you don't know what you're going to take away from it. You, that's the whole purpose of art. You know, you might end up realising something that applies to your life that you didn't particularly expect, you will find something that you like, you will find something thought-provoking, you will live with something, you know, you some sort of realization or some a, a new perspective, because that's what we want to do, we want to educate, we want to make you laugh, but we also want to make you aware of things. And that, I can guarantee, would definitely come in the attempts you're going to make throughout the night to teach you. So you should come. It will be good. Nelson Gombakomba and guests will be in Stage 2 on Friday the 12th of October. And finally, time for some dance. Rombert Dance Company regularly performs as part of the Theatre Royal season, and this year is no exception. Their new work, Life is a Dream, is a spectacular new show with dramatic lyrical dancing, imagery from filmmakers the Key Brothers, and a live orchestra playing the music of Witold Lutosławski. Hannah Rudd is one of the longest serving dancers at the company and was originally from Ipswich. She discusses the exciting nature of the piece and gives great advice for budding dancers in regional areas. So Life is a Dream um, is a production by Kim Brandstrap, who is the choreographer and director of the work. The dance piece is uh, loosely based, or inspiration is from um, the Spanish play uh, Calderon. Working with Kim, he 
he's very interested in kind of blurring the lines between reality and illusion. And, um, you know, for people who might not know anything about the play, it's, um, you know, it's about this uh, young man who is, um, he's incarcerated, he's been incarcerated since childhood and he's freed for one day and recognizing what he has missed. He's been greedy and desperate for, um, you know, a sense of life, you know, but to the extreme of, you know, possibly murdering someone or rape or like, you know, all the senses that he hasn't had, all the experience he hasn't had. And anyway, he's then, you know, locked away again and made to believe that it was all a dream. So that when he then approaches life again, he has caution and he's tentative and he's more careful. And, um, you know, tales about, you know, learning and discovering and everything that the human mind goes through and um yeah as a dancer as an artist so much of what you're doing is about how you're perceiving what somebody's asking you to do how you're feeling about what it is that you have to do you know it's not necessarily just about the execution of a movement of a step um how how is it your in, the inspiration that you've been given the source that you've been given informs your body it totally changes the way that you deliver something the way you execute something um so with it being based on these senses and it's it's very useful for a dancer to have a sense of an inspiration because your 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 I mean your body is sensuous so that's that's its most optimum place to kind of deliver i guess it's an extremely beautiful work the um you know one thing that kim Kim is interested in he he always he always creates an atmosphere that's what he says to us that his his one of his main things is about creating an atmosphere for the for the audience to experience and for us to experience and um, you know and the whole it, it's a very dark piece so it, you know just to be warned about that it's very dark um, and um, it's very shadowy and it's um, quite haunting in its um, you know visually it's quite haunting. And it's, you know, lots of, like, grey and kind of almost, like, bluey, you know, costumes. And the costumes, some of them are velvet. So with the lights on them, it almost looks like water, you know, like or like the midnight sky. Like, it's a very, very beautiful um, beautiful work. And there's lots of projections um, that are used. It's quite a, quite a big set um, that we're using. And it's kind of this old warehouse feel with these windows and you can't really see what's behind the window so it's very ambiguous it's very very ambiguous um in general perhaps and how would you describe the music the music complicated <laughs> the music is very complicated and i'm sure if you spoke to kim he would also say that it was complicated and um, it was a massive undertaking for him you know the lucius lovely who who wrote the music never wanted um the the music to be used for dance so it's very difficult to put dance to it and there's a lot of time time signature changes or sometimes not one at all and um it's yeah it's it's tricky um and it has some beautiful moments but then some moments that are i guess sound uncomfortable which is perfect for what is you know being portrayed at the time during the piece I know you come from Ipswich. Did you always yes. want to be a dancer? And how did you start out? Um, yeah, I think I always wanted to be a dancer. Um, along with this, you know, when you're a kid, perhaps you want to be a vet or, you know, an author or something as well, you know, those, those kind of things. But I was always dancing and always wanted to do 
more dancing. Um, and I started with the Cult Juniors and then Linda Shipton School of Dancing um, and adored my time there with them. Um, and it was Linda Shipton that suggested that perhaps I audition for the Royal Ballet School, which is where I then ended up going to train for seven years. We had all the same kind of academic lessons, but with dancing as well. At school, when I was studying, I was always interested in rumba. Um, I think there was a certain element to the, uh, maybe the formality of ballet that didn't necessarily work for me. Um, and it was later on in my career, I'd, I'd done, you know, I'd worked for Scottish Ballet and the Michael Clark Company and, um, you know, done some freelance work, work and things. And, um, it was just always one of those places when there was always somewhere that I was very interested in going. Um, and, it, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to be given a place. Um, I just came and I took class with the company and, yeah, and then there was a space available for me to join. So that's when I did in 2011, I joined the company fully. It's funny, I feel like generations change, I think, definitely. And um, every generation has a different attitude and a different approach. Um, and I guess what would my advice be? Always stay curious and always be willing to learn and never bring your ego into the room. You know, I think no matter, you know, even I've been doing this for, gosh, maybe 12 years now professionally and I know that I still have so much to learn. Like, you, you don't ever stop learning. It's like everything in life. You don't ever stop learning and I want. I always know that there's more for me and there are so many things I still want to learn and you have to be courageous and you have to be really strong. It's, it can be a tough, it can be a tough institution, it can be a tough world, you know, you're constantly being judged and you're constantly being exposed and you have to take care of yourself during that process as well. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a really wonderful thing to do with your life and I think we're, we're extremely fortunate. How would you encourage any youngsters, maybe would-be dancers, um, say in Ipswich or Norwich or rural villages, how to pursue their dreams if, if they'd like to get into dance like you have? Um, I guess it depends which, you know, which town or city that you're in, but it's just getting involved in whatever community classes are available and then whenever you can, and it's not, it's not cheap going to the theatre, I understand that, but um, whenever you can, maybe going to see something to see if it excites you. Um, often when, you know, I know that Rombe, we, we do workshops when we come to the theatres as well. So um, it's, I guess, inquiring about those and, and then you can start exploring what it is that you might be interested in, you know. Um, as well as maybe going to a class, it's, it's also about figuring out which, you know, if you want to do vocational training, which one would necessarily be right for you? Would you go to a ballet, you know, a ballet um, vocational school or would it be more of a contemporary vocational school like Rombear School or um, getting involved in whatever's available if, if, if and when you can and, and value and value dance is something that's um, dance and the arts which is something that's very important I believe in our culture we always need to remember that and, and keep fueling it you know keep feeding it. Rombear's Life is a Dream is on Thursday the 27th and Friday the 28th of September. That's the end of our show this month. Thanks to Mark Armstrong, Nelson Gombokomba, and Hannah Rudd. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let us know what you liked, 
and what you want to hear in future episodes. Thank you very much for listening to Interval, the Norwich Disroyal podcast.